My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. We're going to be in Ephesians, so if you guys want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you're not there yet, we've been going systematically through the book of Ephesians, and uh, that has led us to chapter 17 through 30, or verse, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 17 through 31. So that's where we're going to be today. Um, We aren't just picking like random obscure passages and being like, hey, let's talk about that. We're going through the Bible, and we're going through specifically this letter, and we are reading every single verse in the book of Ephesians, and we are talking through these through sections. And so that's why we are where we are today. Um, I'll start with this to kind of illustrate what today's going to be about. I've used this illustration before, um, but, uh, but I want to use it again because it makes a really good um, illustration. I don't know what word I was going to say. I don't know, but it does. So pretend, all right, with me, uh, that um, it's like 10 minutes before church starts, okay? So like not long ago. 10 minutes before church starts and I'm nowhere around. Okay, like I'm not, I'm not here. I was here, like we did rehearsal and we did all, you know, like with the band and everything. And uh, I was here, but I'm not here. And so it's 10 minutes before and Trevor's like, has anybody seen Greg? Have you guys seen Greg? We haven't seen Greg. No, does anybody know where Greg is? And then people are like, oh, we need to start the countdown. But where's Greg? I don't know. So Trevor's like, you know what? Just start the countdown. Let's do it. All right, cool. Like he'll be back. He'll be back. And then all of a sudden the countdown and the kids are like, three, two, one, zero. And, uh, and I'm not here. I'm not on stage. Like, and, and so Trevor's like, uh, he just kind of stands up and he comes up here for a little bit. And he's like, well, let's uh, go ahead and have a time of announcements. And so Trevor's stalling as best he can. Okay. I'm still not walking in. People are texting me like, hey, where are you? People are trying to call me. Hey, where? I hope you guys would do that. I hope, you know. And so you're trying to figure out like where he is. And, uh, and I'm just not answering. I'm not replying to anything. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm not here. And then Trevor gets done with announcements and he's like, uh, you know what? Let's have a time of prayer. And so, and Trevor leads everybody in time of prayer. Prayer time's over. I'm still not here yet like 10 minutes 15 minutes have gone by and Trevor's like I guess I'm gonna pick up a guitar he's like what you don't have to laugh at that I think Trevor could do it yeah I know he can did you guys know Trevor sings who who did not know that how many of you guys know that Trevor plays guitar and sings right I want to hear somebody say prove it yeah, we're going to hear it at some point. We really are. Um, but, so try, but right before he picks up the guitar, I come walking in the door. And I'm like, oh, hey, everybody. Sorry about that, right? And then everybody's like, where were you? And so I come up here. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just want you. Like, it was the craziest thing. Like, uh, my 9-volt battery in the guitar died. And so I was going to go across the street and get a 9-volt. And, uh, and whenever I was crossing over the street, like by Prospect Ave stop right there, I looked one way, but I didn't look the other way. And this semi-truck that was going 35 miles an hour plowed right into me. And I just fell over and I got ran over by a truck. And uh, it was the craziest thing. Uh, it was just going, it was so crazy. And then I'm like, all right, let's sing. What are you guys going to be thinking at that moment? You're going, ah, he's probably lying. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, um, why? And why would you assume that I'm lying? Because if I get hit by a semi-truck going 35 miles an hour right over here, when I walk in the door, I'm going to look different. 
right? Like I'm going to look different. That's just something that's going to happen. I don't know what I would look like. It would not be good. That's for sure. It'd be a miracle if I walked in the door, but I would be looking completely different. Guys, this is what, this is what Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 to 32 is all about. It's all about that right there. And you're like, what do you mean? Getting hit by trucks and looking different? No, not exactly. All right. But I want you to remember back in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, real quick. Put this on the screen. It says this, and when you believed in Christ, all right, he identified you as his own by giving you the who? Holy Spirit. So whenever we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our life, right? And, and what the Bible is saying here is that when you put your faith in Christ, you aren't just hit by a semi, you're hit by God himself. You are hit by God himself. The member of the Trinity who was hovering over the deep at creation is now living inside of you, has now taken up residency inside of your life. In other words, if someone were to walk into this room and tell us that they are a Christian, and they were to say, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian, we should be able to tell by the way they speak, act, and carry themselves if they really are or not. We should be able to tell that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven that you should be able to tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. You should be able to tell the difference between someone who is a true follower of Christ and someone who just says they are a follower of Christ. How? By their fruit. It's simple, by their fruit, by the fruit that they bear. And what is that fruit? It's the works they do. It's how they act, how they represent and how they act towards everybody else. You should look different. When you are hit by God, we should look different. There should be a life change. You should not look the same whenever you have been given the Holy Spirit. You should not look the same as you did before. Your life should look different. Your desires should look different. Everything should look different. I loved uh, hanging out yesterday um, at the wedding reception. And I got to really talk to a lot of Jordan's family. And, uh, and, and I know that you, a lot of you guys know Jordan's testimony. You guys, a lot of you were there at her baptism last summer. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we, all, we got to see her come to faith in Christ. And I was sitting there next to her brother at the dinner last night. And, uh, and he, just, he just wanted to just mention something to me for a moment. He was like, you have no idea how glad I am that my sister goes to your church. You have no idea how glad I am to have another believer in my family. Because he was the only believer in his family. He was the only Christian in his family. And he told me that whenever he would try to talk to his mom, he would try to talk to Jordan, he would try to talk to some of his other siblings, he was like, they looked at me like I was crazy. Because I would be telling them about Jesus, I would be telling them about how they need to come to faith in Christ, and they looked at me like I was crazy. And he goes, but something happened. He goes, the sister that got married today is not the sister that I grew up with. He was like, she's totally different. And whenever she comes to town and whenever we have conversations now, she doesn't think I'm crazy. Like she gets what I'm saying and I get what she's saying. And I looked at him and I was just like, that's because you guys speak the same language now. You guys understand each other at the depths of who you are because you both have that now. And I love, 
I love that, that Jordan is, and, and all of us should be, that Jordan is, and she's just a person that I, that I you know, is at the forefront of my mind. Um, she's a walking testimony of what it looks like whenever the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your life. I mean, you talk to her sometime. I'm not going to share her testimony on that. But talk about some of the differences in her life from then and now. Talk to her about some of the changes of her mind that have happened from that moment to now. You, you, if you knew Jordan beforehand and you saw her now, you would be blown away. You'd be like, that's not even the same person. That's not even the same person anymore. What a testimony that is. And I want you to remember how Ephesians described this life change earlier. This was in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through four. We've already talked about this and I'm gonna read verse 10 as well. But I just wanna bring this to your mind again. It said this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So he's talking about spiritually dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in what? The good works. He's like, you've been saved. You have been changed for the purpose of walking is a lifestyle in good works. We talked about what that word walk meant last week, whenever we read the verse that said, walk in a manner according to the calling to which you were called. Walk in that manner. That meant live a lifestyle in that manner, a way of life. And in verse two, just now, it said, you used to live in sin. That means you used to walk in it. Like that used to be the way of life for you. That just, to, I mean, every choice that you made, you didn't even have a choice to do what God wanted you to do because the only thing you could follow was your own self, your own desires, your own fleshly desires. And it says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. That's what he's saying. You used to walk in sin as a way of life. But now, because God raised you from the dead and placed the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will walk in a new life, a different life that is opposite of your old life, a life that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So knowing this, all right, knowing that change that takes place in a person, whenever they put their faith and trust in Christ, they are a new creation is what the Bible says. Knowing that, let's get into what he's talking about in Ephesians uh, chapter four, verse 17. And I wanna remind you guys that this section of scripture, um, we're about to get into some imperatives, all right? That's the stuff we talked about last week, all the commands that God's going to give us. I want you guys to remember something. The commands that God gives us in scriptures, they're not to rob you of your joy and your fun and all that kind of stuff, all right? The commands that God gives in scriptures, it's not, so God, it's not like we're over here having fun and God's like, stop it, all right? That's not, that is not what God intends whenever he gives us a command and he says, hey, do this. Or he says, hey, you were doing it like this and I want you to do it like that. We might feel convicted and go, oh man, but I like doing it that way. 
Yeah, but it's not going to be what's best for you. It's not going to be, it's not going to bring you what you're actually looking for. And the way we need to see these imperatives, the way we need to see these commands are in a way that God intended us for, to see, for us to see them. And that's in a loving way. That's in God saying, hey, I love you so much. You're choosing a life that's going to lead towards destruction. Here's a life or not happiness. It's not going to lead towards joy or anything that you're really looking for. But if you will follow these few things, you are going to find what you're looking for. And, and whenever we remember, remember chapters one through three, we're like, oh, that's right. God did save us. We were like that, but now we have been transformed. So whenever we read these things now, we're going to go, yeah, I want to walk in this way. This is the way that I want to live my life. So here's what he says in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. What does he mean by that? What does he mean as the Gentiles do? Because Gentiles are reading this, right? Like whenever he's writing this to the church in Ephesus and the people around there, he's writing to Jews. He's also writing to Gentiles. In fact, there are a lot of Gentiles that are hanging out. So a lot of them are hearing that. When, like they're reading it. They are Gentiles. And he's like, don't live like the Gentiles. So what do they do with that? Do they get offended by that? Are they like, what, I, I, I'm, that's very offensive, Paul, that you just told us not to live like the Gentiles do? No. Like maybe in 2023, that's going to be offensive, but not back in AD 62. That wasn't offensive to them. They were reading that and they understood what he was talking about. They understood the heart behind what he was saying. And, uh, and, he's, and, and so Gentiles would basically be, as we're reading this, it would just be unbelievers today. Like if you want to take this into our time and our context and our day and age, you could read this as, now this I say and testify in the Lord, no longer walk as unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. That's how you could read that in a today context, all right? So no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I want us to camp on this word for a second. That word futility, this is what it means. That word in the Greek means vain. It means worthless, empty, pointless, lacking in context. Or, I'm sorry, lacking in content. All synonyms for the word futile. And the definition of futility is this. Incapable, this is crazy, incapable of producing any useful result. Pointless. So here's what he's saying. No longer walk as an unbeliever does because they are walking in a way that is incapable of producing any useful results. They're walking in a way that at the end of the day, everything they're doing is pointless. I'm automatically reminded whenever we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes, or not Ecclesiastes, no, yeah, Ecclesiastes? Yeah, thank you, man, I'm like, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, all the E's. Ecclesiastes, whenever the writer of Ecclesiastes was like, you know what, I've tried everything under the sun to bring myself happiness. And he said, and everything I've done has been futile. It's been futile. It's, it's in vain. Everything has been pointless. And he's like, the only thing that has ever brought, that did work and is bringing me joy is following the Lord. That's what, that's what it turns out at the end of my life. That's what it turned out it had been the whole entire time. And so he's like, don't walk, in the, don't walk as they do in the futility of their minds because they're following a way and they're trying to convince themselves of a way that's not really going to produce any useful results in their life. At the end of their life, it's going to just amount to something that is useless, in vain, worthless, lacking in content. 
just totally futile. And then he says this in verse 17 through 19. He kind of describes it. He says, so he says, don't walk as they do in the futility of their minds. They are, and here he goes, he's going to describe your old mindset. The mindset you had before you came to Christ. He's going to describe the mindset of an unbeliever today. He's going to describe that right now. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, we had some friends come into town uh, the other day. Um, it was a former youth of mine, actually. Uh, whenever I first started in youth ministry back in like 2004, um, mm, I hate saying that out loud because there's some of you that are like literally born in 2004. Uh, but whenever I was, it was back in 2004, I started youth ministry. And, uh, and in my youth ministry, there was, um, you know, you have those like your first, your first kids in youth group. And, uh, and now they all have, they're like all married and they all have kids, you know, and that makes you feel super old. And, uh, and so like, they just happened to be coming through town. They're like on their way to Rome. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, we've got to actually fly into New York and we're going to be there for a little while. Um, and so we were wondering if you guys want to grab lunch or something. And we were like, yeah, I haven't seen these guys in forever. We're like, heck yeah, we will definitely do that. And, uh, and what was crazy about the whole thing is they flew into LaGuardia and their international flight to Rome flies out of JFK. Like they can't fly out of LaGuardia internationally. So they're like, they're like, yeah, and then can we have a ride <laughs> like from this airport to this airport? We're like, yeah, absolutely. We'll give you guys a ride. So we take them to Queens because that's where we're close to. And uh, we go to this place called Utopia Bagels. And look, Utopia Bagels has nothing to do with this sermon illustration. I just need, I just need to do a solid for all of you because Utopia Bagels is probably the best bagel place I've ever been to in my whole entire life. All right, so that's for free for you. Add that if you're writing your sermon notes. Be like, God changes us. Utopia Bagels is awesome. All right, like put that in your notes because it's true. Go there, hang out there sometime. But anyways, whenever we were on our way, uh, they were asking us all kinds of questions because they live in Oklahoma, all right? Totally different atmosphere than living in New York City, all right? Uh, and so they're like, so, you know, tell us about like ministry in New York. Like, is it difficult like, is it hard to do ministry in New York? And I was just like, uh-huh. Yeah, like, it's extremely hard. But here's the thing is I had already been studying, like, like for this sermon today, and, and I know the answer to why. Like, this right here tells us the answer to why it's so hard to do ministry in New York City, to share the gospel in New York City. And here's the answer. Here's why. It was in that passage right there. Hardness of heart towards the things of God. Hardness of heart towards the things of God. I said, I feel like there's just such a hardness of heart to people in New York City that didn't really exist whenever we lived in Oklahoma. It didn't really exist. I mean, it existed a little bit whenever we lived in Louisiana and Oklahoma, but nothing, nothing compared to what it's like here. I feel like, and maybe you guys can feel this as well, I feel like the calluses around people's hearts towards the things of God in New York are so thick. You guys know what a callus is, right? Like a callus is something that builds up over time. Like I have calluses on the ends of my fingers because I play guitar, right? And now like it doesn't hurt whenever I play guitar because I've built up these hard calluses. Like the Bible says that there is a callus around people's heart 
towards the things of God so that they don't feel those things. They don't sense those things. They don't understand those things. There's a huge, and it's just continuing to build and it's making heart harder and harder. And this scripture described it so well for me. And I want you to uh, look back at, yep, that one right there. Because here's what it says, right? What that has produced, the hard heart, okay? What that has produced in people is, and, and now I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with, but they will not hear it. They refuse to hear it. In fact, they get angry whenever you try to tell them about Christ, all right? Think about this for a second. Where does that come from? Why does that happen? Like, like what is it? Why is it so hard to do ministry in New York? It's because of this. What that has produced in people is an ignorance. You guys see the word right there? An ignorance. It says an ignorance that is in them. It's produced an ignorance in regards to what is good, in regards to what is true, and in regards to what is right. Why do I want to pull my hair out whenever I have a conversation with somebody that is not a believer? Whenever they're talking about what they think is good, what they think is right, what they think is, you know, true. And I just want to be like, but it's not like that, that you're chasing after something. And I can see literally the futility of your mind at, in action right now. Like I can literally see that. Why? That's because they're, it's, it's because their hearts have been hardened and they lack the even ability to understand. They, they have an ignorance whenever in regards to what's true and good and right. Because where are they getting their information from on what is true and what is good and what is right? The world, not the Bible, not the word. And so of course that's what they're going to think because that's where they live. That's where they, that's where they gain knowledge. It's in the world and it's not in what, what, Bible, what the Bible would call good and right and true, right? Their calluses have led them in the opposite direction and it has left them, look at that word, alienated. It has left them alienated from the life of God, which ironically leads to everything they're searching for in life. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? It's like rain. No, I'm not going to go there. But seriously, though, like that's what they're, they're like. You know what? I just want to find what is going to make me happy. And I'm going to pursue that. But instead, what they find themselves is alienated from God and, 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 and a life. And they won't chase after a life that actually is, is going to lead them to the very thing that they're looking for. And their hardened heart, all right, has also led to, here's another word right there, darkness in their understanding. Like it's dark, the lights are off. Like I want you to understand what I understand so bad, but they can't because the lights are literally turned off. It's, it's dark in there, dark in their understandings. They cannot spiritually see. Therefore, they are subjected and imprisoned really to the futility of their own mind. I mean, what else are they gonna think? What else, what else can they think? Nothing. And I'm describing myself before I knew Christ. Like I know this person well because I was this person. Like I know that this was my way of thinking. And so that's why I can describe it so well and understand it so well and identify so well with that. They are trying to produce so many things with every decision they make in hopes of doing something that actually matters in life. I'm going to do these things. I hope at the end, it's all going to matter. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. There's another 90s song for you. 
Something that will bring happiness and meaning. That's what they're searching for. None of that's in my, that's just how my brain works. I don't know why. That's nothing, none of that is in my nose. I just, for some reason that happens. But not, something, that's, they're always looking for something that will bring meaning and contentment and fulfillment. Wouldn't you say that's really what everybody's looking for in life? Like if you were to go up to people and you say, what do you want at the end of your life? Like nobody in the world is going to be like, I just want to be miserable. I want to be discontent. Like I want to be unhappy. That's what I want with my life. Nobody's going to do that. Everybody at the end of their life is like, I make every decision based on what's going to make me happy, hopefully. What's going to make me happy, hopefully. Like, I hope that if I do A plus B, it will equal C, whatever that C is. And usually that's happiness and contentment and joy at the end of your life. That's what people think will bring a fulfilled life to somebody. That's what people are thinking in the futility of their minds. So yeah, things are tough here because we are overwhelmingly surrounded by very passionate people, by the way. I don't know if you, if you guys have like been in New York, there, there are, if you've walked outside, like there are passionate people everywhere. Like I was just talking about, the interns were just telling me about like a protest that is out in front of LIU uh, that has a rat that is a big inflatable rat out in front of LIU because of asbestos problems. And so people are protesting that. Like, people are passionate about stuff. Like, like I'm like, asbestos? Oh, that's not cool. And then I walk away. I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, I'm, I don't like it, but I'm gonna walk away from that, right? Like people, whenever we were serving coffee the other day, and I, I maybe mentioned this, serving coffee the other day in the subway, somebody walked up and they were like, well, what are you protesting now? Like, that's what immediately what entered their mind. They thought we were holding signs that were protesting something outside of the subway station. They're like, what are you protesting now? And we turned it away around and it said, random acts of kindness, free coffee. And he was like, oh, I'll take some. <laughs> you know, like, I'll take some coffee. And because why? Because we have really passionate, zealous people that live in our community and their hearts are extremely callous towards the things of God. Thinking the, in the futility of their own mind, resulting in a passionate pursuit of ungodliness. That's where they're passionately pursuing. They don't even know it. In fact, if you were to tell them, you know you're pursuing ungodliness, they'd be like, shut up, right? I mean, that, they, it doesn't even make sense. And, um, and I was talking to a lady yesterday who was literally revealing to me the futility of her own mind. She was explaining to me everything that she valued and was basically summing up all that she had learned in life and what it, where it had led um, in her life. And it led to, she was explaining to me how universalism, she was like, that's where I go to church and uh, universalism is where I found truth because they're so accepting of everybody. And I was like, and I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to everything she's saying. Like, I can't get a word in. You ever have those, those conversations sometimes where you're just like, hey, but, you know, and like, you just, you can't get a word in. And I was fine. Like, I was totally fine with just sitting there and listening to everything. But as she was talking to me, I'm just thinking about the sermon for today. Because I'm like, you are a living example right now in front of me of someone who is thinking in the futility of their own mind. And this is where it's led you. And she was telling me about everything that she believed under the sun about all kinds of stuff. She told me she wanted to be reincarnated as an animal because animals are the best. And I was just like, Whoa. you know, like, but, but I mean, but literally what was I going to say? Was I going to sit there and argue with her about stuff? Like she brought up some other issues that of like morality and all this other kind of stuff. And, and I just sat and I, and all I, all I could do was listen because I knew that trying to convince her 
of a different belief in a specific thing was never going to change her. Like that wasn't ever going to change anybody. It would never lead somebody to Christ just talking about those things. I'd be trying to reason with a person who is literally incapable of understanding things from my point of view. Darkened. So how do you reach them, right? Because my heart was just broken. Like, like, you're just broken sitting in front because there was just a prime example of that feudal mind. And, and I knew that at the end of her life, it wasn't going to lead to anything productive. I just knew it. But she was hoping that it was. And I just saw what Jesus sees, which is a sheep without a shepherd. Like just wandering alone, trying to figure out things for herself. And that's honestly what everybody in this world who doesn't know Christ is trying to do. They're on their own and they're just taking shots in the dark. I hope this leads to joy. I hope this leads to happiness. I really hope that this leads to fulfillment. So how do we reach those people, people like her? Here's, here's where we won't reach them, debating moral issues. You will not reach someone for the gospel, especially in New York City, debating moral issues. We don't look at the things they are doing that we disagree with and try to convince them that our way of doing it is actually the right way. That will not work. So many Christians waste so much time debating moral issues, trying to get the other person to agree with your morality. They're incapable of understanding what you think. Like a mind that has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit cannot be explained to someone who hasn't. It can't. It's incapable. That's what we've read in these scriptures. So then what? Write this down and remember it. Ready? If you want to reach somebody, don't aim for their actions, aim for their heart. Don't aim for their actions, aim for their heart. The order doesn't go like this. Change the morality, find God. The order goes like this, from what I can tell. Find God, morality changes. How many of you guys look completely different than you did before you knew Christ? Me too. How many of you guys decided to clean up your act before coming to Christ? No, right? That shouldn't be our mindset. But how many of us came to Christ and then all of a sudden <laughs> we started to be cleansed? We started to really understand these things. Yeah, man, that's our testimony. That's what happens within us. And that's what's going to happen to other people. It's what happened in our own lives. What's the opposite of a hard heart? It's a super easy question. What? Soft, yeah, a soft heart. Yeah, exactly. The opposite of a hard heart is a soft heart. I want to remind you guys of Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Look at this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does God do whenever we put our faith and trust in him? He takes out this hard heart that we're talking about in Ephesians. He removes it and he puts in a soft heart. He puts in a heart that is made of flesh. Now, if we go back to that passage that we saw earlier, you can go to the next slide. And we change and we say, and we, and, we change, and we change the word hard heart to a soft heart. This is what should describe us. This is what we shouldn't be. This is, what, this is what describes what we used to be or what we shouldn't be anymore. This isn't walking in, uh, you know, a manner worthy of our calling. This is what walking as the Gentiles do. 
But look what happens. Whenever our heart changes to a soft heart, we're gonna, I'm going to show you some changes. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. If we have a soft heart, let's change it. Go to the next slide. Instead, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must, let's make it to the positive. Walk as Christians do. How do Christians walk? In the futility of their mind? No. Go to the next slide. In the fruitfulness of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. When we have a soft heart, flip it. Go to the next one. They are enlightened in their understanding. This is the change that takes place in a person. They are enlightened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God? Not anymore. Go to the next slide. Adopted into the life of God. We're not alienated. We're adopted into the life of God. Because of the ignorance that's in them? Nope. With a soft heart, that changes. Go to the next slide. Because of the knowledge that is in them. We know we don't have ignorance anymore. Now we have the knowledge in us. Due to their hardness of heart? Nope, we're changing that. Go to the next one. Due to the softness of heart. So everything's changing. They have become callous. Go to the next one. No, they've become sensitive. This is the change. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity? No. Go to the next one. Have given themselves up to the things of God. This right here is the opposite of the scripture that we just read. What you saw was don't walk as the Gentiles do. And so what it means then is do this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Walk as Christians do. Walk as someone who's been changed. Walk as someone who's been given the Holy Spirit. Walk as someone who's gone from death to life in the fruitfulness of their minds. Oh, what a fruitful mindset we have. When now it's no longer futile. It's now we see what we need to be doing. We understand what we need to be doing. And it's now not leading to something pointless. It's leading to something that's going to end up benefiting us. They are enlightened in their understanding. Ah, oh, praise God, we've been enlightened in our understanding to the things of God. Adopted into the life of God. Thank you, Lord, because of the knowledge that's in them. Due to the softness of our heart. Thank you, God, for giving us the softness of heart so we know these things. They have become sensitive. We're no longer callous to the things of God and have given themselves up to the things of God. What an amazing way to see that passage. Write this down if you're writing stuff down. A hardened heart leads to a futile mind. A softened heart leads to a fruitful mind. A hardened heart leads to a futile mind, but a softened heart leads to a fruitful mind. But does that mean that we will always choose the fruitful path? Once we've been given a softened heart? Does that mean we're perfect? Does that mean now we follow everything and we do all the right things and we don't do anything that's not wrong? No, that's not at all. We're still going to be tempted to go back and walk in the futile path. We still will. Look at verse 20 through 24. Uh, this is the whole point of why Paul is saying all of that stuff. He's saying, don't go back and walk like you used to, right? As the Gentiles do, as unbelievers do. Here's what he says in 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what you were taught. To put off your old self, that self before you knew Christ. Put off that old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self is not something you do once. 
Like it's not, the, it's not like, oh, okay, I put off my old self. I put on my new self. Let's go. That's, that's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying that we have to do that every single day. Like when we wake up in the morning, we have to rid ourselves of our old self and we have to put on our new self every single day. We're going to be tempted to think in the futility of our old mind. And that futile thinking is going to lead to incredibly unproductive behavior. We've been there. We probably have days like that. We definitely have days like that. And, uh, and it looks like that we've been alienated from God rather than adopted by God. But Paul is painting a picture for us. It's like taking off filthy clothes. Like that's really what he's, he's kind of painting a mental image of. Like your old self, like it's like taking off like those old filthy clothes. And it's like putting on brand new clothes. He's like, man, put all that filthy flesh away. Like put that, put that down. Like, d like take that off every single day and put on clothes that are after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And how do we do that? Here it is again. We've talked about this before, renewing your mind. What scripture does that remind you guys of? We went over it not too long ago. What? Are you guys scared? I hear. <laughs> That's what I hear. What is it? What does it remind you of? A new way of thinking, renewing your mind. Okay, we're there. Romans 12, right? We went through Romans right before we went through Ephesians. Romans 12, talking about the renewal of your mind. So how do we put on the new clothes every day? We renew our minds. How do we renew our minds? It's reminding yourself of the gospel. Every single day, reminding yourself of who you were and who you are now. That's how you renew your mind. It's getting into the word of God. It's reading the scriptures. It's meditating on the scriptures, even for a moment, just on the things of God. It's placing your mind on things above. You guys have heard that scripture. Place your mind on things above. That's how we continually renew our mind. That scripture actually comes from Colossians chapter 3. And I didn't even know what, I didn't, wasn't even thinking like what the rest of this scripture said whenever I was, whenever that verse popped into my mind about thinking on things above. But then I went back and read it and it's insane what it says. Like it's, it's a mirror image of what we just read. Look at what it says in uh, Colossians 3, 2 through 10. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. Wow, this is amazing. When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Are we reading out of Ephesians? Because that's what it sounds like. No, we're reading out of Colossians. The Bible talks about this all the time. It talks about this old self that we need to get rid of, that we need to put off every single day, and we need to put on the new self. So what are some practical ways we do that? Like, I love the Bible because it's not just like, so go and do it. And then you're just like, what? Go do what? Like, he's actually going to give us some practical advice on this. He actually gave us a lot in Colossians, and we could go back and talk about all those, but we're in Ephesians, so we're going to keep going in Ephesians. So here's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, all right, therefore, if you want to put, take off your old self, put on the new self, therefore, 
having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I love that because he starts with a negative. Therefore, put away falsehood. He's like, don't do this, but do this. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I love, I was reading and, uh, and I saw what one of the commenters, commentators said, and I love what he said. He said, remember that holiness isn't just about saying no to sin. It's about also saying yes to God. I love that. Remember that, all right? Because it's not just about the don't do this and don't do that. It's, it's more like, no, actually just say yes to God. That's what living in holiness is. That's what living in righteousness is. So he says, therefore, having put away falsehood. These are, so here's some practical things that we can work on in our own lives. Practical things that I need to work on in my own life. Put away falsehood. Walking as Christians in a manner worthy of our calling rather than Gentiles means saying no to falsehoods. Be careful not to interpret this as just flat out lying. Because we, convince, we can convince ourselves that we're good in this department. Whenever it says, uh, you know, put away falsehood, if we read it as like, don't lie, then we would go, oh, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I don't, well, you really just lied to yourself, actually, um, technically. So yeah, whenever you think about falsehoods, it could be anything. It includes any type of falsehood. It could be even an omission of truth or an exaggeration of the truth. That's what all these falsehoods are. But look in context. Who is he specifically saying not to speak falsehoods to? Each other in the church. He's saying, don't speak falsehoods to one another, to your neighbors, to other Christians. We're to speak truth to one another. Why? Because we are members of one another. This is what truth promotes. Truth promotes unity and truth promotes trust. Therefore, we should always seek to rid ourselves of falsehood and to speak truths to one another. I don't know if you guys have ever known somebody who is, um, has a reputation for embellishing or a reputation for just flat out lying about stuff. You, would you ever trust that person with anything? No. Imagine if a church acted that way. Like if the people in the church, you were just like, I don't know who I can trust. What would that do? We talked last week all about unity in the church. It sure wouldn't create unity amongst us. It would actually create division. And so we need to continually promote trust here and unity here. And so we need to rid ourselves of falsehoods. Uh, 26, he says this, be angry. All right. He's like, here's another way. Here's another way you can get rid of your old self and put on the new self. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Did you guys hear what that just said? Be angry. You don't hear that very often. You're like, but I'm not supposed to be angry. Actually, it says you are. Like, be angry, but let's talk about what that means, right? The Bible talks about a sinful anger, and it talks about a righteous anger. Like, there's a way to be angry in a godly way. There's a way to be angry in a sinful way. I think we're all pretty acquainted with that way, right? But there's also a way that we can be angry like Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, you have heard it said that you should not commit murder, but I say that if you have anger in your hearts towards someone, you are subject to judgment. When we heard that, we were like, oh, so we shouldn't be angry about anything. Well, that's not necessarily true because think about Jesus's angry moments. He was angry at the Pharisees for their hypocritical attitudes. He was angry in the temple. This is the one probably where everybody thinks of. When uh, they were selling like sacrifices um, and, and they were uh, kind of like turning it into like a money-making scheme 
in the very temple of God, and Jesus walks in, literally throws a table across the room. Was he angry? Yeah. Was he sinful in his anger? No, actually. He wasn't even sinful in his anger. So why should we be angry when it comes to sin? We should be angry when it comes to injustices in the world. Anything that is against what, like keeping somebody from coming to know Christ, like those are things that produce, a, that is a righteous anger. And that's something that we should definitely have. But with an imperfect nature, is it possible for our righteous anger to turn sinful? Yeah, it's possible for our righteous anger to turn sinful. That's why it says not to let the sun go down on your anger. Anger in us, even if it's a righteous anger, is like a poison. And if we sit on it long enough and allow it to fester in our lives, then in a weak moment, it will turn to a, now we will have given opportunity for the devil. It will turn into that if we have a weak moment. So if you're angry about the evil that exists in this world, good. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Take that righteous anger and do something about it, but do it before it turns into unrighteous anger and you do something about that. Does that make sense? You guys know why he says that. Like we're weak in our flesh. We can be angry about things in a righteous anger, but, but be careful because it could turn to an unrighteous anger and you'll do something about that and that won't be good. And then in 28, he says, there's just a few more. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And that's another one where we look at and we're like, oh, stealing. Like, I'm not, I'm not a thief. Like, I'm, I'm doing good on that. And, and, and we might not think, you know, that applies to us so much. But in context, this is so interesting. Back then, there was a season of work and, and, and often seasons of unemployment like depending on like the time of year. And in those seasons of like financial drought, it was common to take a few things here and there. Like it was okay. They were like, you know what, go ahead. Like it's, it's not that big a deal. Like you're hurting. So it's, it's we're kind of just kind of look over that, right? Um, and after all, like it's for survival. Uh, it was illegal, but it was sort of understood as an acceptable sin. Sometimes there are those things in our lives that we see as acceptable sins. We think that, you know, in our own lives, we, we take liberties uh, in places sometimes, uh, in the small stuff that aren't really that big of a deal, and we see them as kind of acceptable sins. But I would encourage all of us to think through some of those. Like, what in my life, what in my life is, am, am I deeming as sort of an acceptable sin? He's like, no, that is still putting on the old clothes, that is still putting on the old self. You're supposed to rid yourself of that, and you're supposed to put on your new self. And then he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I love that. The word corrupt here is also the word used for rotten or spoiled food. So he's like, like no, let no rotten talk, like let no spoiled, disgusting talk come out of your mouth, any kind of foul language, but don't limit that to just like cursing or telling dirty jokes or stuff like that. Like it's anything that isn't constructive to another person in some way. Something that tears somebody down. When speaking, ask yourself, is this going to edify and bring grace to everyone standing around that's listening? So we've got to be careful about how we speak. It could also be in how you approach someone else in, 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 whenever, in correction. Like there's a corrupt way to do that and there's a gracious way to do that. We've got to speak um, without corruption coming out of our mouths. I love what he says in the positive. Only such as is good for building up 
as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I hope that defines our life. And if it doesn't, we've got things that we need to work on. I have things that I need to work on. I am not perfect at that. And I've got to work on those things. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve just means to cause someone sorrow or distress. That's what the word grieve means, right? So how do we cause the Holy Spirit sorrow? How do we cause the Holy Spirit distress? I think about Jesus, all right, before he, before he raised Lazarus from the dead. You guys remember that story? Like Lazarus died, he's all stinky now, and Jesus shows up, okay? What does he, what does he see whenever he shows up? He sees all of these people in pain. Why? Because their friend died. So he sees the pain from that. He sees that their friend has died. They've lost their friend. Jesus was a friend of Lazarus as well, right? And seeing all of this, it says that Jesus was grieved. And we, then we find the shortest ver verse in scripture. And, and what did Jesus do as a result of that grief? Wept. Jesus wept. He wept because of that. Now, what, what was Jesus grieved over? Was he grieved because his friend died? Was he grieved because his other friends were sad that their friend died? I don't think so. I don't think that was it because Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. Like Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead. I think it's deeper. I think Jesus was grieved at the effect of sin in the world, that death even existed. I think he looked at all of these people and he saw the pain in them and he said, that's not how it's supposed to be. That is not how it's supposed to be. He shouldn't have even have died because that's not how I created this world. But because of the effect of sin, these people hurt, these people die. And I think that's what led Jesus to weep in that moment. How do we then grieve the Holy Spirit? I think it's like that. It really involves all of the things listed so far and like lying and stealing and anger and corrupt talk, but also any action that is contrary to the Holy Spirit's leading. Anytime we go out in disobedience to what God wants us to do, I think that grieves the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are not to live by the leading of our sinful flesh, but to live by the Spirit. So anytime we choose the flesh over the Spirit, anytime we choose sin over God, the Spirit grieves over our destructive decisions in our own lives. And I love that God loves us that much. I really do. And then finally, in verse 31 and 32, he says, get rid of all bitterness he says, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, get rid of harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. You want to talk about living a life worthy of the calling? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgetting this leaves the old self on. If you forget that Christ, what Christ has done, in you and through you and in forgiving you. If you forget that, then you're gonna leave your old self on. But remembering that puts on the new self and transforms the mind. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.